Welcome to Before You Go. I'm Bryant Monte. And I'm Nicole Franklin. And today, Bryant, I am so excited because you get to meet a friend of mine. (laughs) Wow, I've been looking forward to this. (laughs) Yes. So my cousin is Warrington Hudlin, and um, he is a, a film producer of many, many, many years. And we have a very good mutual friend. His name is Rafe Kamal. And so I was just chatting with Warrington about some potential guests and, you know, he'll send me a name or two of some guests that are perfect for our, mm-hmm. our series before you go. And he says, well, you know, Rafa Kamal. Yeah, but Rafa Kamal is not 100 years old. <laughs> he said, no, <laughs> but he was in a program with me with a bunch of our heroes, you know, in the film and TV industry. And you talk about television, one of the first Black women syndicated talk shows he helped produce. And I was like, "Uh, excuse me, I've known Rafe for 20 years. How come I haven't known this? (laughs) Hi, welcome back to today's Black Woman. I am so glad you joined us today because we have with us... So, Rafe, um, we are about here, before you go, getting first-person accounts to history. So here you walk in and um, hello. (laughs) Good day, good day, fellow travelers. How are you? Oh, great. It's so great to meet you, Kamal. You also, you also. <laughs> so, yeah, let's, I want to go back to before anything that you let me in on, Rafe, how you started. Let's go back to how you started in this industry. I consider me, Warrington, you and our little crowd there, because I grew up in filmmaking in New York, Indie Spirits. And that was pre my arriving in New York. I arrived in New York from the Midwest. Um, A bunch of you had gone to a place known as Third World Cinema. Did your career kind of start there or was it before? I do want to get to Third World Cinema, but tell me where it all began. Well, it really started a little before that. Uh, I was uh, working for a casting director as a bookkeeper, uh, Mm -hmm. a fellow named uh, Tom Ward. Uh, and Tom had a partner named Marty Richards. You might know Marty. Marty did uh, uh, Chicago, finally, uh, eventually did Chicago and The Shining years later. So uh, hearing about Third World uh, wanting applications, uh, Algie Davis uh, started the, um, the organization. And because I'd already been working in the field doing commercials, he said, uh, come on. Uh, and, and brought me into the, uh, the producer's program. And that's how I got started in third world cinema. And that was in 72. Yeah, I see that third world cinema started around 71 and 72. There was Ossie Davis and feels like a lot of people were uh, attributed as co-founders. I've seen Hannah Weinstein in there, more notably um, Rita Moreno. I've seen her name associated with this as well as James Earl Jones. You, Warrington, Nima Barnett, early members of the workshop. Um, how did you guys come together and, and how did you hear about it? Also, um, Perry Thomas, a, a noted um, poet, and, uh, and John O'Killen, John Oliver Killens, was also involved. Nice. Yes, and as well as uh, Preston Holmes, who's in the first class with me. Uh, Preston went on to do uh, do the right thing, Malcolm X as a producer, and many, many more projects. Yes. Yeah. Quite so your question was how did you guys come together you were in harlem right yes uh well prior to that uh there was something called a community film workshop uh, which a gentleman named uh cliff frazier uh was the executive director 
Mm -hmm. uh, and he eventually went over to Third World Cinema, but really it was Ozzie Davis and Hannah Weinstein that brought that whole thing together and then started bringing in um, young people of color that wanted to get into this business. Uh, and, and that's basically how it started. They brought us in. You said you're in the producers area. They, um, they had different departments, correct? Yes, yes. they had uh, producers, uh, production uh, uh, projectionists, uh, writers, uh, directors, those were the basics. And just getting uh, us uh, a chance to get a foothold in the industry through internships, et cetera. And fun uh, trivia, Warrington was in the projectionist department. <laughs> Which he tells me, he's like, you're going to laugh <laughs> after my degrees and house party, all that. I'm in the projectionist department. <laughs> but he said he came into the program late. He just wanted a spot. And that was something. <laughs> so, <laughs> he, came a little, he came a little after I was there. I'd been there, I think, a year or two already when he came in. So I think it's pretty smart you chose producing. Uh, talk about why that was um, something you wanted to pursue. Because that was the direction I wanted to go into. Uh, I knew early on that I wanted to be able to make sure that we started to see our images and controlling what we were seeing. Mm -hmm. And to do that, you know, we had to be in charge, had to be up front, had to be a producer. So I wanted to learn that. And, and as I said, uh, starting in the casting area, I saw how, pos how possible that was too, uh, how other people were doing it. Not us, but how other people were doing it. Now, what was it that um, really set you on fire with this to say, this is really what I want to do? Because I'm sure this was new to you at the time, um, stepping into um, television. Well, well, before TV, uh, as I said, I worked on uh, as an intern also on Superfly and, of course, 110th Street at the time. Uh, and mm -hmm. I saw that there wasn't as much uh, film was being done in New York, uh, but TV was 24-7. Mm, I said, wait a minute, this is a good place for me to be. 24-7, I wanted to get into factual programming. So I was dealing with, I wanted to deal with reality. Uh, so this was a perfect stepping off spot uh, to begin to venture into that area. Well, you were busy. It sounds like you took it all in. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which you should have. Were you in your 20s around this time, Rafe? I was about 23, around there. Oh, nice. Yes. Uh, did you need college for this? Yeah, I went to a Bernard Baruch for an entrepreneurial course uh, uh, that lasted a couple of years. Uh, and I went and I spent a lot of time in the Schomburg. And the Schomburg Research Library is what we should um, tell people about. Third World Cinema also wanted to produce its own films, and it was responsible for producing the feature Claudine, starring Diane Carroll. Charlene asked me if I loved you. I didn't tell her that I'm too smart to fall in love with anybody. <laughs> Bet you were with me anyway. I got six kids and aching feet. So we're back with my friend, television producer, filmmaker, Rafe Kamal, who started in TV with a fantastic televised syndicated show for you, Black Woman. Basically, let me take you back a little bit further than that. Before yeah. uh, today's Black Woman, uh, for you, Black Woman, uh, I, I started with a, um, uh, there was a couple named Fred and Felicity Dukes. These were uh, Black producers, writers, directors that probably no one's heard about. But they brought me in uh, and they brought me in at a time uh, that 
first thing I did was uh, something on cable. Now understand, this is 73. There was no cable. Only thing you saw on cable was the reception was clearer. There was no programming on cable at that time. But they brought me in to do a show, uh, a little show called The Drum. Uh, we had Teddy Pendergrass and a bunch of other folks on, on that series. Uh, after that, I did Apollo specials with them, uh, two Apollo specials. Uh, and that was in 76. Uh, did a dance show. And after that, we did um, For You, Black Woman. Um, and For You, Black Woman was, it was interesting. It was not the first talk show hosted by a Black woman. That was Della Reese. Now, Della Reese had a musical variety talk show, mostly with celebrities. Uh, we had the first straight talk show, pure interviews, dealing with the community, everything from the family to healthcare to politics, to um, uh, civil rights, et cetera. And that was in 77. I mean, looking at the times in which all this took place and, and your involvement in television, I mean, this is groundbreaking, would you say? I would, I would say yes, uh, because it, we were coming out of the turbulent 60s uh, and us yeah. baby, baby boomers uh, started to demand, we wanted something to show what we were doing who we were, uh, where we were coming from. Uh, that had not been done previously to that, uh, to that extent. And that show, uh, that For You Black Women show, which was hosted by two African-American women. Uh, one was Alice Travis from 77 to 78, and Nell Bassett, uh, who was a public affairs director at NBC. That was from 78 to 79. And we had everybody on there from Jesse Jackson to, uh, um, uh, Maya Angelou to Shirley Chisholm. Um, <laughs> nice. uh, we just had just a whole bunch of folks on that one. Mm -hmm. uh, then we went to do uh, Today's Black Woman, which, uh, which was a, a revised, well, I guess it's a, a rebranding of that show, which was on uh, For You, Black Woman. And that was hosted by Frida Payne, an outstanding um, vocalist. She hosted that show from 80 to 84. And everybody, we had everybody on there from Richard Pryor to Red Fox uh, to Gregory Hines. Nice. Um, it's a whole, a whole, <laughs> Kareem, Kareem was on there, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was on there, uh, Natalie Cole. Uh, I love Natalie Cole. And I'm refraining myself from singing <laughs> Band of Gold by Frida Payne. I, you know, I want to break into Band of Gold right now, but I won't. Uh, <laughs> I won't terrorize our listeners. <laughs> And that's what, and that's what uh, that show lasted to 84. And the interesting thing, remember, because everybody always asks, I ask people, who was the first woman to have a, um, a talk show? And you know, the first one that comes up to their mind is Oprah. Oprah. Oprah, yep, they always say Oprah, but. Now, today's black woman went off the air in 84. Oprah's local show didn't come on to 84 and a national show didn't come on to 86. Mm. Seven years before all of that, we were on before she came on. And what I was told by our distributor, I don't know if this is true or not, he said he received a call from Oprah and thanked him for being the one to open the door for her to get her stuff on. That's what he called oh, me. Oh. Okay, Oprah giving the props. <laughs> Didn't know that. And well deserved, well deserved because I, I, I preface it by saying again, those initial shows for you black women were produced, directed, and written by African Americans. Amen. Uh, yeah, very special. What was it about the black woman, Rafe? Well, hey, you've always been special. 
uh, having me oh, recognized yeah. as being as special as you are. So we wanted to make sure right. that was emphasized. And Very just cool. in terms of uh, audience traction, I mean, this was um, something that you started. Did you get a lot of uh, people watching and how'd you do that? Yes, it was on uh, the ABC. Both of those shows were on the ABC O&O's uh, nationally right. syndicated. Okay. Uh, yes. Uh, so um, uh, got a good response on uh, yes, on both of those presentations, and and, and the, the you know the problem was our not really, well our syndicator wanted to do another show called uh, that teen show uh, on NBC, mm-hmm. which I was affiliated with that also, uh, and that was basically a show uh, to Haywood Haywood Nelson from What's Happening. He was one of the co-hosts of that show for teenagers. Hmm. Uh, about dealing with current events, and we tied in music videos to that, uh, to those shows. And he wanted to primarily, because he owned the show, so he wanted to primarily uh, focus on that show. I said, wait a minute, before you do that, you know, why do why you want to take this show off the air? Let me go and try and see if I can sell it. Uh, uh, and he wasn't asking a whole lot of money for it. Uh, mm-hmm. We didn't get uh, enough response from the advertisers. Uh, on that side. And so that's, that show eventually went off the air, which is unfortunate. Very. You're about the business side of TV. Uh, talk about the mechanics that go into that. I don't think people understand uh, the uh, the hardship <laughs> that goes into selling a show. You know, believing in this project is one thing, but you've actually had to sell it. And, and how do you change the script a bit to reach out to people who may not be creative? Well, let me back up a little bit on that, on that too. Uh, Remember, at that time, there is no internet, there is no mm-hmm. social media, there is no cable, uh, there, uh, there is no streaming uh, channels, 200 channels or so. So it's hand-to-hand combat. And Byron <laughs> Allen talked about this, <laughs> trying to, right. Byron Allen trying to sell his first show, uh, should almost kill them. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and that you had to go around to individual sponsors yourself before that, you had to go around the country and get stations uh, because you had to build a network because there was no networks. They only had the three major networks and most of that stuff was not on them. Uh, so you had to go and build your own network from city to city to city, build that together with at least, My. Get at least 70% of the country and then get sponsors. So you were on the phone. Did you pack a suitcase and travel? How did you do that? Did a lot of it on the phone. Uh, some suitcase pa- packing, but mostly on the phone, uh, and uh, a lot of no's before mm-hmm. we got a couple of yeses. So it took it took time to get that stuff done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and do do you see in the business how it's always a money thing, even though this is rich content, what the community needs and wants, but it's always about business. Well, it's and, and that's unfortunate. In some ways, it seems like it's very unfortunate that it's always about money and profit. Well, this country is about money and profit. Uh, right. it's, uh, and, and they call it show business. Um, uh, we look at a lot of times at the show, <laughs> yeah. we look at a lot of times at the show, but don't uh, realize how much of the business takes part of this. So it's, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's part of the deal. And in the midst of this, I'm going to take a little turn here. In the midst of this, <laughs> you had um, changed your name. You adopted an identity that we now know and love you as Rafe Kamal. Um, and you got a little warning about that because you were doing great as far as selling shows. And then you decided to make this personal pledge. Tell us about um, how that was received. 
1977, uh, there was a show called Roots. Uh, that was a uh, wonderful series. Uh, and, and in seeing that, it inspired me, as well as with other things uh, coming out of the 60s. Uh, I said uh, some changes needed to be made from my perspective with myself. Not speaking to anybody else, just for myself. So I was doing a show on Channel uh, 11 here in New York, uh, a dance show called uh, Soul Alive. Mm, um, yes. There was a show for teenagers. Uh, uh, high school, as a matter of fact, a multicultural, multi-ethnic, um, a, different, a little different uh, than Soul Train, but coming on somewhere around that same time period on the same channel. Mm-hmm. So in, in, pre- in prepping for one of the shows in studio, this young sister uh, who was an intern came over to me, kind of whispering, and said, Kamal, can I ask you a question? He said, do, uh, I understand that you changed your name. Do you think that's going to affect you in... Uh, moving forward in this business, and and I and I and I said to her, first of all, um, yeah, I changed it back. That was the first thing. Her eyes kind of looked wide open, and I said, uh, "This is not. Uh, uh, no one has the power uh, to decide what I'm going to do in the future." Uh, and and mm-hmm. that's basically how we left it. She kind of shook her head and kind of kind of mooned off, moonwalked on me. Uh, <laughs> and, and thank you. But next to her, close to her was a lighting director, a brother named Bob, white boy named Bob. And he came over to me a little bit later and said, uh, Kamal, uh, I liked you before, but I got a lot more respect for you even now after hearing what you said to that young lady. And I understood exactly what he was saying. Uh, as Maya Angelou said a long time ago, man, one of the most important things you can have is courage and self-respect. Right. Uh, and people will appreciate that. And if nothing else, they're going to have to respect that. Mm. Uh, and that's uh, that's that story. I went on 40 years later, I'm still doing what I do. <laughs> I, I got to ask, um, going back to the, this business part, we know it's show business, but in terms of your position and what you did to get the skeptics to believe in your idea and what you all were doing, what are some of the things that you said that you said, oh, this really should work? And it did work for those that just weren't on board. How, how did that process work? Well, let me tell you another story. Well, I did another show called uh, In the Black Keys to Success. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a national financial healthcare series uh, for WOR, which was a super station at the time, so it was run nationally. Uh-huh. Uh, I've been trying to sell that show mm-hmm. for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I looked, and there was a magazine called Broadcast Magazine. Uh, and, I, and one of the issues, there was a cover story with this brother named Pluria Marshall, who had the National Black Media Coalition at the time, beautiful brother. Uh, he's on the cover with a two by four with two TV executives standing next to him. I said, this is the brother I need to see. So <laughs> I, con- I contact Pluria, uh, and he didn't, he didn't know me, but I'd been in the business already, this is 84, I'd been in the business already 10, uh, at least 10 years. Hmm. He didn't know me, but he knew, he saw my credits and said, come on, Call me back in two days. I called him back in two days. One of those people that told me no, uh, I got a I got an instant appointment to do a what was going to be a summer a, a summer special. Oh wow! So, so uh, I went out there and, and and did all the media myself. Got in variety and a few other things. That summer special turned out to be a ten year series. Wow. Yeah, right. so that's, that's what it takes. A lot of times it, it takes us coming together 
using the power that we have, whether that's political, economic, um, uh, social, uh, just playing some hardball uh, and getting stuff done. And, and you wonder why some shows make it, some series make it, some projects make it, and some don't, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, some are good, some are not so right. good. Uh, and a lot of times, uh, trying to do stuff on your own doesn't work. You know, um, uh, I remember what the, mm -hmm. one, of, one of our outstanding poets once said, uh, his poet was Me, We uh, by Muhammad Ali. Mm -hmm. That's how that's mm -hmm. how things work. You have to work together. You know, we are. And all, Amen. A lot of us yep. want to do our own thing. Well, a lot of times that old thing doesn't work. You know, we should, we're supposed to be a family. We come together, and there's a lot more power when we do come together. Say that again. No. <laughs> a lot more power when we do come together. That's it right there, isn't it? <laughs> Even in show business. <laughs> Right. I mean, and then, hey, let's take it back. It were, these were African principles, right, to work together. Correct. And that's why I go back to, uh, to the old school, to the old continent. Uh, there's a, uh, an old, an historian named John Henry Clark who once yes. said, if your history starts with enslavement, everything looks like progress. That's why you have to go back a lot further. Mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Pretty deep. <laughs> Pretty deep. Before any of that, right. Exactly. That's, where, that's the foundation of everything. That's our foundation. That's where we started everything from philosophy to science, to medicine, etc. the arts. It all, it all started back. Uh, I went to Egypt. Well, I went to Egypt many years ago with one of, another professor, Dr. Ben. Uh, mm -hmm. And so all, I studied with him before that Egyptology. And the, we have to know our history, right. not just here, but further back. Right. And, and curious about uh, all the projects you've worked on. I mean, what might be some of your memorable moments or those projects that you really were excited about and it actually happened for you? Well, really all of them, because uh, I got them done. You know, the mm -hmm. bottom, bottom line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the bottom line was getting them done, uh, being able to show others that we could do it. You, you were also on the creative side, weren't you, with those projects? Oh yeah, I was. Um, I was. Uh, I've done everything from executive producing to producing to associate producing to uh, line producing. Yeah, creative consulting, all of those uh, things. I've done. Uh, I've, I've covered all as many territories as possible on location producing. Now, now, if I could use the analogy of like golf. Um, you, you know, you golf and you hit the sweet spot on the ball and it goes exactly where you want it to go, you know? Uh, how do you find that sweet spot, if you will, on a project or something that you're working on to say, we really nailed this one? Whether it's each and every time you bring a group together or you film the show or even writing the script, you know, when, when do you really see that that's the case? Well, Brian, I'll tell you something, it's, it's that whole process. Uh, uh -huh. I, I enjoyed that whole process, man, uh, because as producers, we have to turn on the lights and turn them off. Uh, we have to do everything, man, mm -hmm. especially as African-American right. producers, especially at the beginning of this time, man, we, uh, we have to do the, uh, the marketing, we have to do the pitching, we have to do the selling, and time the distributing, uh, and a little song and dance in between all of that. And, and that's, that's really the joy of doing this, man, seeing a project from its idea to its fruition.
Now, Rafe and Nicole were founding members of the Black Documentary Collective. So if you all could, you two could tell us a little bit more about that. You want to start off? You want me to take it I'll just start off by saying the Black Documentary Collective was founded in New York City, where I grew up as an indie filmmaker. That's where my career grew up. It was because of the family that was the Black Documentary Collective founded by St. Clair Bourne that I knew I could do what I do in this business. It was because of you guys. Rafe Kamal was there. Rafe, I don't know how many people um, were kind of like the nugget there in our early days, at least 20, 25, 30 of us, because yeah. um, St. Clair Bourne said, you know, we're going to start this thing. And we need to work together. <laughs> you know, it ain't going to happen unless we work together. The bloods have to know where the resources are talking about us. <laughs> you know, I mean, he was serious. This man had made uh, more than 40, 45 films. But I always say St. Clairborn's best production was the Black Documentary Collective. Would you agree, Rafe? I guess I would. I met St. back uh, in the, the early 1980s. Uh, when he had done, I think, Black, Blacks and the Greens. Mm -hmm. uh, I met him around that time. Uh, and uh, we became a friends back then. The Saint was always serious, an outstanding filmmaker. Uh, and, uh, and from then on, we just you know, had a good relationship. Uh, a uh, funny story. Um, uh, after Saint had, um, uh, had produced the, uh, the John Henry Clark, The Great Natty Walk, mm -hmm. uh, there was a uh, there was another documentary that was in the can that nothing had been done. The Wesley Snipes also had executive produced uh, called uh, on Dr. Ben, my professor. I mean, an I don't know if you guys know Dr. Ben, but an outstanding human being. Mm -hmm. Historian, uh, and that film is still in the can. So mm -hmm. almost every time I saw saying and, and saying even before I said anything, saying when he saw me, he said, "Come on, please." <laughs> so so he didn't go there, man. Um, and, and it's unfortunate that film is still in the can and, it's, mm. and it was, and I tried to reach Wesley over a couple of years. He hasn't responded. Wesley and, Snipes, if you're listening, cause I've heard Kamal say Dr. Ben film has got to be done through the years myself. Let's get this done. And it's in the can. It's in the can. It just need, probably needs a little bit of editing, but I understand mm -hmm. wow. sister said yeah. it was already done and in the can. So, just, and it really, and we need to see that. We yes. See that. And plus I must say, uh, Sabrina Gordon is the co-chair now of the Black Documentary Collective. Co-chair with you, Rafael Kamal. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sabrina S. Gordon is extremely talented and award-winning filmmaker. We've got a bunch of award-winning filmmakers in our group. And again, in that initial group, Stanley Nelson, Michelle Stevenson, Sabrina Gordon, Kathy Sandler, uh, we've got incredible uh, filmmakers and it was important for the um, for us to be well represented, you know, gender wise, but to have that powerful black presence in the New York scene. It's and it still exists. And uh, we're on Facebook. You can find us. <laughs> um, it was just very, very special. I mean, truly, um, you all are my family. Absolutely. My film family. And we love you madly. <laughs> that's how he ends all of our phone calls love you madly i love you madly too rafe <laughs> saint actually um, was doing some fundraising he was a prolific producer um uh, by the way saint claiborne did uh, pass away way too early for all of us um but before he did 
he had come out here to Santa Monica to do some fundraising. And while he was um, in California, he couldn't help himself. So he formed the organization Bad West. So there is still um, a chance for locals of uh, local listeners of KBLA Talk 1580 to check out the filmmakers who were inspired by St. Clairborn, keeping it going as a family working together, documentarians out here um, under Bad West. You can find them at badwest.org. Another outstanding organization. Another outstanding. Melissa Hazlip. I mean, in talking about somebody who was, um, you know, representing 70s television with her, her uncle in the Mr. Soul film. I mean, this just fantastic. You know, we're everywhere, everybody. So when you're saying, where are the Black filmmakers? Um, check in with us, <laughs> Black Documentary Collective and Bad West. We're here, we're representing, there's hundreds of films. Where, where do you um, live now? Where do you live? In, uh, I'm in Manhattan. Manhattan, okay. So you spend time on the West Coast? Not much. Not much. I, might be, I might be spending more simply because I'm working on a project, but we'll see. Okay. Oh. Um, and let's talk about that, Rafe. We are indie spirits. Um, you were in the commercial um, industry working with the network brass. Um, talk about the difference when you had to hang with us, <laughs> the independent filmmakers who were, you know, trying to cobble our projects together and get those seen and out there, stuff that's in the can that we need to get out of the can. Um, talk about that struggle and, and maybe what you see. So I know you, I see you sometimes looking at us, shaking your head. <laughs> I love the indie spirit, man. Uh, that's where my heart is. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, when you're working with, uh, in other venues, you have larger budgets, easier access uh, to distribution. Um, you know, uh, some of the stuff that we do, man, takes years and years to get done, mm -hmm. if it gets done at all. That's a serious um, commitment uh, to telling stories that are mostly about who we are, where we came mm -hmm. from, and where we might be going. So I have the utmost respect for what we do, but that's the difference. Basically, uh, you just have, uh, uh, on the other side, you have an easier access. If you can get, if you can get in, uh, mm -hmm. there's always obstacles, because then uh, that easier access means you might have less control over what you do. Uh, and I'm all about uh, being in control of what we do in our images. Uh, just curious, in terms of, the uh, those independents like us, what, what would you say, you know, your recommendations on what, you know, what they could do or what we could do to get people uh, to support our projects, to actually get money to support the projects we're compassionate about? Um, what, what do you say to the independents out there? Well, um, today, there's a, you have a lot more access uh, because of social media. Uh, and because of the uh, racial reckoning, uh, mm -hmm. et cetera, you have a lot more people that are willing at least now to listen to you. Uh, a lot more of us that now are forming organizations to, to provide funding. Uh, this is hand-to-hand -hand combat, man. This is, this is guerrilla warfare. You got to keep fighting, fighting, fighting. And that's how it gets done. You can't give up. Because a lot of folks, you know, it's hard, man. A lot of folks, uh, you still have, you know, you have to live. You still have to pay right. that rent got to, you know, got to pay the, um, got to eat, you know, you have family obligations. <laughs> right. so, so it's tough, man, but uh, that's all part of the deal. If, they, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Right. <laughs> so we yeah. cel celebrate more projects because independent projects in particular, because it's so much that goes into it that a lot of people don't see or understand it. 
Yes. Uh, and can take it for granted. Yeah. And, and, and that's part of life, man. What, what are you going to do? You know, a lot of people got right. their own, they got the only thing they got to deal with too on a daily basis, their own lives. So uh, that's why you got to keep pushing and pushing and keep um, pushing. Yeah, we're we're warriors, um, especially again, going back to the Black Document Collective in New York. That was New York rent. <laughs> pretty high rent that my fellow filmmakers and I were paying. And um, and it was down to those uh, resources. I got to say, though, coming together as a group and whenever I mentor younger creatives, you've got to find your group because you all are your best resource. We crewed each other's films up in the Black Document Collective, you know, we were our crew and it wasn't like formal. It's just, hey, you know, so-and-so, are you available? <laughs> you available next weekend? I'm working on something. I like your vision. We would watch rough cuts of, of what we were doing. We, it was just, like I said, a family. And when the going got tough, you know, we were tougher. And, uh, and then people started looking for us. I remember uh, we went to an early, early meeting Rafe, you and I, and one other, maybe Lorenz Grant um, with Tribeca. And I remember the young woman saying for the Tribeca Film Festival, we've been looking for you guys at the Black Dockery Collective. And we're like, hey, and here we are. <laughs> so we were getting a name for ourselves and uh, the rest is history. We are our salvation and always have been. Mm -hmm. Amen. Uh, Mr. Kamal, I wanted to ask to see how, with all the media that's going on today, there's so much information, so many projects, film, multimedia, social media. H how do you stand out in such a sea of media, if you will? Do, do a great project and market it. Market it, market it, market it. Uh, that's how you stand out. Because like you said, there's a lot of stuff out here, man. Matter of fact, I just saw an outstanding project the other evening, uh, Colin in black and white. Mm -hmm. uh, Standing, you know, uh, Ava at it again. I love her. Uh, <laughs> Go, Ava. <laughs> another project on a woman named Paula Murray, uh, which is on Amazon, um, a documentary about this sister who I never heard of. Uh, mm -hmm. An outstanding project uh, that someone had told me about. Uh, and um, she was the one that influenced Ruth Gator Ginsburg mm -hmm. on women's rights and influenced Thurgood Marshall on civil rights. Bad sister. I don't know how many people heard about it, but uh, I heard some other people, I didn't know about it. Some other people told me, so it's word of mouth. It's getting out there, marketing, 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 and doing something that's good. Absolutely. Yeah, word of mouth, um, it's, it's going to be around forever. I mean, that's old school. <laughs> so I know there's all these newfangled, um, you know, digital marketing tools now, but it really is word of mouth because it's from people you trust. And with social media now, wow, you know, the, the potential is enormous. You can reach everybody in the world. Yes. And by the way, we're going to throw one more thing into that media landscape, the metaverse. I know wow. Warrington, Warrington just built um, his own metaverse. So and then we've got Facebook making an announcement a few days after he told me that, you know, they're now meta. So yeah, this metaverse, um, you know, always evolving, always evolving. Yes, indeed. And I'm looking to get into it. Oh, oh, okay. You're going to get into virtual reality. I'm working on it. Yeah, <laughs> I know you are. I could actually use your producer brain on any new projects. Um, so we got to, we got to team up again, Rafe. <laughs> I won't let you get away. <laughs> that would be wonderful. Yes. Now I've heard from many a corporate leader 
that media is the most powerful weapon. And I'm saying corporate because I know that media is used and manipulated when it comes to getting political power, you know, and, and making moves on people who aren't paying attention. And, um, you know, just uh, those who are, in, who are in control might take over the minds of some of us who are not really using our individual thought to the fullest potential. I don't mean to get so philosophical here, but um, I know you have thoughts on media and politics and how we're all living it with it, manipulating it, absorbing it in society. Well, it's up to us to be in control. Mm -hmm. um, there's so many different platforms now that we can be on that we can control without having to work um, go to somebody else. In the past, I've had to go to other people to get stuff on. A lot of now we can get our own stuff on, mm -hmm. um, uh, and and it'll be global. You know, I, I tell people, anytime uh, somebody wants to stage a coup anywhere in the world, what's the first place they go? The TV network, TV station, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, about controlling images and the information. Um, it's up to us now to control our own information. You know, and, and I'm not just talking about black folks, I'm talking about anybody that, um, that, that doesn't want anybody else controlling how, how they think. Um, it's up to us to do that. And uh, we have the mechanisms now to do that. Uh, if we don't do that, it's our fault. Mm -hmm. Now, we talked about you possibly coming to the West Coast. Well, um, I'm working on, on, a, on a major multimedia project I've been trying to get uh, developed for a while with the... Uh, an independent studio back here, uh, dealing with the power of longevity. And That's how... right up our alley. That's right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, and, um, and, and that's basically uh, from the perspective of uh, how, um, how it deals with the family, mm -hmm. technology, spirituality, and culture. Uh, and uh, to me, longevity is sweet. Uh, I'm 75. I'll be 75 in January. Mm -hmm. I've been on the planet 75 years. A wonderful thing. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, and a lot of times, uh, people, uh, the, one of the dilemmas that we have, though, is ageism. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm dealing with that, too, how uh, age discrimination in the media, in the yeah. workplace, uh, in the marketplace uh, has cost this country billions of dollars. So I'm gonna be dealing with all of that. Uh, and, and how, and also the psychological perspective of how wonderful it is to be able to get to us. I know a lot of people are no longer here, man. Uh, they died in their twenties and thirties. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how wonderful an experience it has been for me to be here going through the good, the bad and the crazy, mm -hmm. still being here and, uh, and enjoying it all. So that's what I wanna deal with and, and show people that uh, it's, it's nice getting here. Yes, and you'll still have room for stories about Black women in your projects. Well, that's a part of the, the, the uh, longevity. Amen. From the beginning. Matter of fact, let me tell you a little story. I went, when I went to Egypt, I saw uh, one of the temples. There was a relief on the, on the ceiling of one of the temples. And it showed a sister uh, spread out with stars shooting out of her vagina. And that represented the queen of the universe. Oh, my. Yes. Oh, wow. 
that's what I'm getting. That's how far back that goes. Amen. Woo! (laughs) That's power. And it bothers me that that kind of got to What was her name? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know her name, but you can go and you can see the (laughs) video. Uh, but that kind, of, that kind of longevity and kind of respect that we've had for, oh, yeah. for women, sisters, uh, that far back, we need to continue that um, as we move into the future. So that's part of the longevity story. Speaking for myself, I'd love to help you with that project. That's all part of that. Yeah, it's all part of the same. That's all part of the same piece. And as I get a little bit further along, I will, uh, I'll let you know what's happening. Nice connections made. If I can, um, if you have a minute, I'd just like to say one thing. Uh, mm-hmm. I do want to mention uh, uh, one of my buddies, Kareem. Uh, I've known Kareem a lot of years. Uh, and I and that, would be, that would be for everybody who's out there listening, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yes. I've known Kareem since the first grade. Uh, we grew up together. And uh, I worked on a project with Kareem a couple of years ago called On the Shoulders of Giants, mm-hmm. uh, which was another longevity type of project. Uh, we dealt with a with an organization called the Wren, who won the NAACP award at the time. Uh, and, and anybody mm. gets a chance, they ought to try and see this because it was a real special project about a, um, a basketball team back in the 20s and 30s and how much they accomplished uh, during that time. It was a wonderful project. So I just wanted to mention that. We're going to look for on the shoulders of giants. And Rafe, we got to go. It was so wonderful spending time with you, which is always a pleasure for me. Thank you so much for being with us. I thank both of you. Uh, this has been outstanding. And thank you for giving me the time to, uh, to showcase some of the things uh, that have been done in the past. Of course. Yes, thank you so much. As we look into the future. And to our listeners, let's get some more of this history on record. Now, we want to hear from you about the history makers in your circles, like our guest, Kamal. And before we go, we want to remind everyone that stories like these are sometimes just a phone call away. Just pick up the phone and make that call. There's no time like the present. What a gift. Before You Go is an Epiphany, Inc. production. Hear more from Nicole Franklin and Bryant Monte at beforeyougo.tv. Before You Go.